0: U.S. officials tonight closely monitoring China's missile program following a report of a possibly ominous missile test. The Financial Times, citing unnamed sources briefed on the intelligence, reports China tested a nuclear-capable hypersonic missile in August. The report says the missile circled the Earth before speeding toward its target, demonstrating an advanced capability in space that, quote, caught U.S. intelligence by surprise.
1: From the Heritage Foundation, I'm Tim Descher, and this is Heritage Explains. Hypersonic Chinese missiles traveling at 10,000 miles per hour circling the Earth? Yikes. The CNN report at the top of this episode is just one example of the many rising threats the U.S. faces on a daily basis. We may not always hear about them, but rest assured, if you can, they exist. We've documented these on prior episodes of Explains, but in the face of ever-changing news narrative and politics we think it's crucial to continue to highlight and break down specific instances where the U.S. is especially vulnerable. Is the U.S. ready and capable to go toe-to-toe with our adversaries? Could we stop a hypersonic missile with a nuclear weapon attached? Just how prepared is our military? Are we going to go to war tomorrow?
0: Well, I can't tell you that. Well, how about three years from now? Well, I can't predict the future either. Oh, well, this is a, a problem that may never happen. Right. And so we can defer major decisions to the next election cycle or the next session of Congress. Right. Uh, so in, in fact, those are all true sorts of statements. But the history of the United States shows that about every 15 to 20 years, we find ourselves in a war.
1: That voice is Dakota Wood. He's a senior research fellow here at the Heritage Foundation and the editor of the 2022 Index of Military Strength. What is that? Well, it measures the ease or difficulty that our military would have in responding to the many threats our adversaries pose. On this episode, Dakota walks us through the index and explains what it means for the US military to only be marginally able to meet the demands of defending our national interests. But first, hear this. It's easy to get overwhelmed by the 24-7 news cycle. So if you're looking for a way to keep up with the news that matters, the Daily Signal podcast brings you the top news of the day. Hosts Doug Blair, Rob Bluey and me, Virginia Allen, you headlines and interviews with lawmakers authors and conservative activists if you're a conservative who wants to be on top of the news check out the daily signal podcast available every weekday morning okay the new index is out the u.s military is only marginally able to defend america's vital national interests i don't like that dakota <laughs> And now with, you know, the knowledge that China recently launched a hypersonic missile and many U.S. officials and, you know, the weapons experts um, outside of the government, they're now speculating the missile program might be intended as a way to evade U.S. missile defense with a nuclear armed system. Now, I just have to say, the timing of the release of this index is spot on, Dakota. So let's just start with the top line here. What does it mean, especially given all that's Mm -hmm. going on, to be only marginally able to defend America's vital national interests?
0: Yeah, well, we picked that word uh, specifically, right, with great intentionality, because words convey a picture or an emotional response. Uh, So if you had a grading scale from A to F, uh, or a number scale from one to five. So this is a C, you know, it's right. a number three on that scale of five. But if I said, hey, it's good enough, you know, C's passing, right? <laughs> then you might get the sense that the condition of the U.S. military is good enough. I mean, what's yeah. to be concerned about? Why do we need such big defense budgets? Let's move on to some other issue. Hmm. But in the world of security affairs, and I loved what you teed up there, right, with the Chinese uh, hypersonic uh, uh, vehicle or platform weapon. Hmm. Uh, As an example, is uh, if you're working on the margins of your military, if you got just enough to kind of do what you think you need to do today, that is not accounting for these surprise events. Hmm. Right. It's not accounting for the Russians developing nuclear capable cruise missiles or the development of ballistic missile capabilities in Iran, the largest ballistic missile inventory in all of the Middle East, Hmm. North Korea whose population is at near starvation levels of diet, right? right. I mean, right. Sure. all the problems they've got. Yeah. But it's more important to the Kim regime to develop a submarine-launched ballistic missile. Yeah. And their ballistic missile inventory can range the entirety of the United States, oh. and they have miniaturized warheads to the extent where they can mount a, a nuclear warhead on top of those things. So hmm. if you've got uh, an okay military yeah. and it's old— Right, you got yeah. good people in it, but they have old equipment and it's too small for global responsibilities. Yeah. I mean, nobody's making the case the United States just needs to be a regional power. Yeah, and seed our friends in the Pacific to China and seed Europe to you know Russia's aggression and that kind of stuff. So we picked this marginal, this word marginal to convey the sense that all is not right. Right, and you could tip to weak very easily. Not only from your own inattentiveness, but from the actions of others that you can't control. You yeah. see what I mean?
1: Yeah. And and, uh, we, and we did an episode uh, several months ago on the NDAA, and um, went through kind of some of the some of our suggestions as to what Congress really needs to take into consideration for this. And those things are fully displayed in the index here. But I just wanted to ask, just off, off the top of my head, the next question I had after the first, you know, marginally able to defend our vital national interests, mm-hmm. is can we combat a hypersonic missile with a nuclear uh, uh, weapon attached to it?
0: Yeah, well, it's, it's a new technology. It's fairly exotic. Okay. Um, the idea is you're moving at five or six or eight times the speed of sound. Mm. So can you track it? Do you have the space-based systems or the ground radars to be able to track something moving like that? Okay. If it can maneuver... And the Chinese say, and, and the American developments of hypersonic, right? We've done some testing on this stuff, huh. say that they have solved these maneuver problems. So what does maneuver mean? Mm. And in the world of aircraft and stuff that flies through the air or whatever, the faster you're moving in general, the more distance you need to make that maneuver. Because right. you're just moving so so fast, you can't turn on a dime. Hmm. So with a hypersonic sort of weapon... Mm it's moving closing distance so you don't have as much time to to find it Hmm. if it can maneuver along the way then it makes kind of locking and targeting it also uh, difficult and it also um, makes it hard to know exactly what its final target is okay so if you're flying into the u.s at mach 5 and you get over california are you going to denver are you going to kansas city are (laughs) you going to dallas i mean Because any of those options are possible. Hmm. Now, because of the speed, once you do settle on a final target, you can't maneuver, right? Because you're just moving so fast. So there is this this targeting problem in the military world of being able to see it coming at you and then having the ability— to notice when it is finally locked on its its kind of terminal trajectory yeah. and then in a point defense mode. In other words, if if Washington, DC is important and you ring it with missile systems, well those missile systems are effective for that single target. Hmm. But a defense capability in Washington, D.C. doesn't cover Tampa, Florida. Right. You know what I mean? Right. Yeah. So it's a lot of math involved. It's the physics of bodies moving very, very fast. But what it says is if China has the capability, they get into a war with the United States, they can launch a weapon very difficult to track that's moving extremely fast. Right and we would have a short amount of time to detect its final target hmm. and then hope that you've got a defensive system in place at that target. Boy,
1: I want more than hope. <laughs> well, but that's you know? where we're at. I mean, that's why it's such a scary sort of thing. General Spohr, uh, when he was in a couple months ago talking about NDAA stuff, you know, he he brought up the point that it's not that easy to just go ahead and snap your fingers and you have a modern – uh, you know, a modern space force right. or a modern army. It takes years, years, decades to develop the technology and then and then implement it and put it into use.
0: So if the Air Force, let's say they have 1,000 uh, frontline fighters, I yeah. think it's I think 950 or something. Let's just call it 1,000. We think they need 1,200 based on historical use. But if they had 1,000 and the average age is 30 years old, well, you would want to replace that. Well, right now they're only buying 100 F- thirty-fives max. I think it's actually sixty or seventy F-35s each year. Wow. So I'm a, four, a retired marine and math is not my strong suit. Yeah. Right. <laughs> but yeah. If, me, I'm me buying, if I'm buying if I'm buying a hundred airplanes a year, it takes me ten years to buy a thousand, right? Yeah. So I mean there is a there's a math involved here. Math relates to funding. So if I'm hmm. the maker of F-35s and you're telling me you're only gonna buy a hundred a year. Then I tune my workforce and my production line to yeah. do a hundred. Mm-hmm. I'm not going to keep extra workforce or build another factory that I don't have the business, you know, to ensure that profitability, right? Mm. So now you tell me I want to double my purchase. Here's a magic check. I want to buy two hundred a year. Hmm. How many years do you think it takes to build a new factory <laughs> or to hire new workers? So with the with the general dynamics electric boat. Uh, is the lead contractor makes uh, ballistic missile submarines. So we've got this yeah. new submarine coming out. It's called the Columbia-class. It takes the name from the first boat or the first ship in the class, and it's going to replace our aging Ohio-class ballistic missile submarines. Hmm. To make a Columbia-class submarine takes six and a half years. Oh, my God. One submarine. And and I've talked with colleagues that work for that company, and they say, if you wanted to increase production, I need new welders, as an example. Specialized metals. This is a a boat that needs to be able to survive hundreds and hundreds of feet under the water, so you can't have any flaws or mistakes in that stuff, right? Right. It takes them between five and six years to train a new welder Mm -hmm. to the level of competency where they can do good welds.
1: So we have... A rating for every branch of right. service here. Uh, and I'm just going to go through them. And I have a, a simple question at the end of it that it's going to probably be not so simple to answer. But the Army, you say, is marginal. The Navy is marginal, trending to weak. The Air Force is weak. Space Force is weak. The Marine Corps is strong. And nuclear capability is strong to trending marginal. So we rank all these things. I would assume the Department of Defense knows all of this already. I would assume most people in Congress know all of this already. Why put together 600 pages... Uh, to do this. What what are we trying to drive here? Uh,
0: we're trying to drive an informed public. Yeah.
1: So major
0: competitors, they have entire vast intelligence services that do watch this. They watch the comings and goings of ships and, you know, how many times uh, a unit from one Air Force Base will deploy somewhere else. I mean, they track all this stuff. You know, all the things we put in the index are all open source. Yeah. And so if you've got a billion people in China, you think you could probably find you know, 100 or 200 to 10,000 to track this sort of stuff, right? Where we've got a small team of eight uh, that does this, right? So um, this is no surprise to our competitors. Uh, Members of Congress have different interests. You know, you want to bring jobs home to your district. Maybe you've got some kind of a social agenda that you're pushing. If you acknowledge that there are serious problems in the military, then you're almost obligated to put money against that. You know, to replace an old tank or a ship. Well, if that's a budget pressure and you would rather use that money uh, to subsidize health care or education or whatever, Mm -hmm. right, Uh, you have these issues in Congress where they're focused on the next election cycle or keeping their constituents happy or what have you. These military issues last decades, Right. So it takes six and a half years to build a submarine. Hmm. Um, Well, are we going to go to war tomorrow? I can't tell you that. Well, how about three years from now? I can't predict the future either. Oh, well, this is a a problem that may never happen. And so we can defer major decisions to the next election cycle or the next session of Congress. Right. Right. Uh, So in. In fact, those are all true sorts of statements. But the history of the United States shows that about every 15 to 20 years, we find ourselves in a war. Right. So unless we think the patterns of human behavior and the contest between states have so changed that we will never be at war ever again—
1: You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Oh, no, it's I'm, yeah. I'm just sitting here thinking about it, and the the one word that keeps popping into my head here, and and you can I'm sure just go with this is China, 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 China. I keep thinking about China. I see it kind of sound like President Trump. China, 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 China. You know, but that's the real stuff here. That's the real thing that is challenging us right they, now.
0: They have a they have more money, yeah. so they can fund these sorts of things. They operate at a larger scale than anybody else in the world does, right? So um, the U.S. Navy is 296 ships. So let's just round it to 300, okay, Uh, because marine math is uh, simple. Uh, (laughs) On a daily basis, you've got about one-third of the Navy that's available for use. That's 100 ships. So the United States Navy has 100 ships at sea to cover the entire world, of wow. those 100, about 60, so about 60% are dedicated to the Indo Pacific. That means everything from San Diego, California to Hawaii to Guam to Japan, you know, that westward looking sort of capability, 60 ships. The Chinese Navy has 350. Okay. They also have a Chinese Coast Guard. They've got a, a, a maritime militia yep. sort of thing. So if you totaled up all of their boats that have some kind of a weapon that could be used in the military sense, well over 600. Hmm. And we have 60. Wow. So that's a 10 to 1 ratio, right? Just before it's just chilling. bullet. And wow. because China's operating, let's say, 300 miles from home, you can cover with land-based assets where a U.S. Navy ship is operating several thousand miles from home. So you've got you know a, a, a divergence in capabilities and relevant military power. So the reason we use China so much as an example is just the enormity of the challenge.
1: Well, we're going to link to it. This is the 2022 Index of US Military Strength. This is Dakota Wood talking with us here. And and I got to say Dakota, um this is so eye-opening on an issue, you know, we're we're focused on a lot of different issues here in DC, but every time this comes up, it you you guys do such a good job of reminding us what's at stake here. I mean, you heard it, folks. The rise of China is real. Uh, Iran, North Korea, Russia, it is all there. It is all real. The one thing about this report that I think is a little fishy, (laughs) and I'm going to call you on this. You know exactly what I'm going to say here, and it's, it's you rated the Marine Corps. You're a Marine you rate the marine corps strong I so gotta, only what is this Decover? i got
0: to show up at a marine corps ball every once in a while you know so <laughs> i don't want to deny me at the door
1: i mean come on yeah Decover. now
0: i tell you, well there's and we and we are explicit in, in saying why the two reasons
1: for that right by the way do you wear tennis shoes to a marine corps ball i'm <laughs> curious <laughs> i think they would need you on the way in. but <laughs> go ahead go ahead I'm yeah sorry. No,
0: we were explicit about this is one we lowered the standard So uh, the Marine Corps is adamant that they are essentially a one-war force. Mm -hmm. Well, all of our facts and figures for capacity uh, are based on the idea that you would have enough military power to handle more than one problem at a time. So it's not that we envision having two wars going on, Mm. but if you only have enough to deal with one major problem, you have to commit everything to it, globally source, it means that some other competitor – could opportunistically exploit that. I see. You know, you're tied up defending, helping to defend Taiwan, and Russia moves into the Baltic states, right? Right, right. So capacity-wise, we want to have a military that can handle a problem and deter bad behavior and reassure allies in, in some other part of the world. The Marine Corps says we're never going to get there. I see. So based on history, they would need 36 battalions and all the other stuff that goes with that to do those sorts of things. Uh, they have 24 Mm. So what we we did was uh, we lowered uh, the requirement from 36 to 30. So it gets them a bit of space on this capacity scoring. Uh, And we also talked about the seriousness with which they are approaching combat readiness, Mm. redesigning their forces to deal with a China sort of problem. Mm. And we've got to give them kudos for that. I mean, doing really, really great things, but at great cost. So to free up the funding to do these important things, they're going to shrink even more. You know, so they're you, going from 24 you, to 21, they'll go from raining. 21 to 18.
1: You're just raining on my parade. I was trying to end <laughs> on like a really high note, you know, the Marine Corps is doing Love great, everything's fine, but uh, yeah. but man, it is, it is a messy, messy uh, challenge here. To keep us safe, and and Dakota, you are doing an incredible job with that. And I just wanted to just say again, I just love talking with you here at the Heritage Foundation. Thank you for being here this week. Appreciate
0: it. Yeah, I can't. We can't close without acknowledging twenty authors to this thing. So this is not a me show, right? It's it's twenty authors. Uh, dramatic expertise in regions and countries my colleagues in the defense uh, mm-hmm. department right on the other services and all that so it really is a heritage-wide effort I yeah. mean I
1: just I really just want to tout that appreciate that Dakota and again thank you so much for being here uh, this episode great. thanks did you like what you heard today yes great no we'd love to hear why go ahead and send us an email at managingeditor@heritage.org or just leave us a comment wherever you listen to the podcast. Just a special note on comments to our Apple podcast listeners. We know there's a lot of you out there. Leave us a comment. Now get this. Anyone who does is guaranteed to get a virtual high five from Michelle Cordero on the next episode. I mean, come on, who could pass that up? Oh, we sure do hope you have a great one, and we will catch you next time.
0: Heritage Explains is brought to you by more than half a million members of the Heritage Foundation. It is produced by Michelle Cordero and Tim Desher with editing by John Pop.